The Wedding Knell from Twice Told Tales by Nathaniel Hawthorne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bob Neufeld. There is a certain church in the city of New York which I have always regarded with peculiar interest on account of a marriage there solemnized under very singular circumstances in my grandmother's girlhood. That venerable lady chanced to be a spectator of the scene, and ever after made it her favorite narrative. Whether the edifice now standing on the same site be the identical one to which she referred, I am not antiquarian enough to know nor would it be worth while to correct myself perhaps of an agreeable error by reading the date of its erection on the tablet over the door it is a stately church surrounded by an enclosure of the loveliest green within which appear urns pillars obelisks and other forms of monumental marble the tributes of private affection or more splendid memorials of historic dust with such a place, though the tumult of the city rose beneath its tower, one would be willing to connect some legendary interest. The marriage might be considered as the result of an early engagement, though there had been two intermediate weddings on the lady's part, and forty years of celibacy on that of the gentleman. At sixty-five, Mr. Ellenwood was a shy but not quite a secluded man, selfish, like all men who brood over their own hearts, yet manifesting on rare occasions a vein of generous sentiment. A scholar throughout life, though always an indolent one, because his studies had no definite object, either of public advantage or personal ambition, a gentleman, high-bred and fastidiously delicate, yet sometimes requiring a considerable relaxation in his behalf of the common rules of society. In truth, there were so many anomalies in his character, and though shrinking with diseased sensibility from public notice it had been his fatality so often to become the topic of the day by some wild eccentricity of conduct that people searched his lineage for a hereditary taint of insanity but there was no need of this his caprices had their origin in a mind that lacked the support of an engrossing purpose and in feelings that preyed upon themselves for want of other food if he were mad it was the consequence and not the cause of an aimless and abortive life the widow was as complete a contrast to her third bridegroom in everything but age as can well be conceived compelled to relinquish her first engagement she had been united to a man of twice her own years to whom she became an exemplary wife and by whose death she was left in possession of a splendid fortune a southern gentleman considerably younger than herself succeeded to her hand and carried her to charleston where after many uncomfortable years she found herself again a widow it would have been singular if any uncommon delicacy of feeling had survived through such a life as mrs dabney's it could not but be crushed and killed by her early disappointment, the cold duty of her first marriage, the dislocation of the heart's principles consequent on a second union, and the unkindness of her southern husband, which had inevitably driven her to connect the idea of his death with that of her comfort. To be brief, she was that wisest but unloveliest variety of woman, a philosopher, 
bearing troubles of the heart with equanimity, dispensing with all that should have been her happiness, and making the best of what remained. Sage, in most matters, the widow was perhaps the more amiable for the one frailty that made her ridiculous. Being childless, she could not remain beautiful by proxy in the person of a daughter. She therefore refused to grow old and ugly on any consideration. She struggled with time, and held fast her roses in spite of him, till the venerable thief appeared to have relinquished the spoil as not worth the trouble of acquiring it. The approaching marriage of this woman of the world with such an unworldly man as Mr. Ellenwood was announced soon after Mrs. Dabney's return to her native city. Superficial observers, and deeper ones, seemed to concur in supposing that the lady must have borne no inactive part in arranging the affair. There were considerations of expediency which she would be far more likely to appreciate than Mr. Ellenwood, and there was just the specious phantom of sentiment and romance in this late union of two early lovers which sometimes makes a fool of a woman who has lost her true feelings among the accidents of life. All the wonder was how the gentleman, with his lack of worldly wisdom and agonizing consciousness of ridicule, could have been induced to take a measure at once so prudent and so laughable. But while people talked, the wedding day arrived. The ceremony was to be solemnized according to the Episcopalian forms, and in open church, with a degree of publicity that attracted many spectators, who occupied the front seats of the galleries, and the pews near the altar, and along the broad aisle. It had been arranged, or possibly it was the custom of the day, that the party should proceed separately to church. By some accident the bridegroom was a little less punctual than the widow, and her bridal attendants, with whose arrival, after this tedious but necessary preface, the action of our tale may be said to commence. The clumsy wheels of several old-fashioned coaches were heard, and the gentlemen and ladies composing the bridal party came through the church door with the sudden and gladsome effect of a burst of sunshine. The whole group, except the principal figure, was made up of youth and gaiety. As they streamed up the broad aisle, while the pews and pillars seemed to brighten on either side, their steps were as buoyant as if they mistook the church for a ballroom, and were ready to dance hand in hand to the altar. So brilliant was the spectacle that few took notice of a singular phenomenon that had marked its entrance. At the moment when the bride's foot touched the threshold, the bell swung heavily in the tower above her and sent forth its deepest knell. The vibrations died away and returned with prolonged solemnity as she entered the body of the church. "'Good heavens! What an omen!' whispered a young lady to her lover. "'On my honour," replied the gentleman, "'I believe the bell has the good taste to toll of its own accord. What has she to do with weddings? If you, dearest Julia, were approaching the altar, the bell would ring out its merriest peal. It has only a funeral knell for her.' The bride and most of her company had been too much occupied with the bustle of entrance to hear the first boding stroke of the bell, or, at least, to reflect on the singularity of such a welcome to the altar. 
they therefore continued to advance with undiminished gaiety the gorgeous dresses of the time the crimson velvet coats the gold-laced hats the hoop petticoats the silk satin brocade and embroidery the buckles canes and swords all displayed to the best advantage on persons suited to such finery made the group appear more like a bright-coloured picture than anything real but by what perversity of taste had the artist represented his principal figure as so wrinkled and decayed while yet he had decked her out in the brightest splendour of attire as if the loveliest maiden had suddenly withered into age and become a moral to the beautiful around her on they went however and had glittered along about a third of the aisle when another stroke of the bell seemed to fill the church with a visible gloom dimming and obscuring the bright pageant till it shone forth again as from a mist this time the party wavered stopped and huddled closer together while a slight scream was heard from some of the ladies and a confused whispering among the gentlemen thus tossing to and fro they might have been fancifully compared to a splendid bunch of flowers suddenly shaken by a puff of wind which threatened to scatter the leaves of an old brown withered rose on the same stalk with two dewy buds such being the emblem of the widow between her fair young bridesmaids but her heroism was admirable she had started with an irrepressible shudder as if the stroke of the bell had fallen directly on her heart then recovering herself while her attendants were yet in dismay she took the lead and paced calmly up the aisle the bell continued to swing strike and vibrate with the same doleful regularity as when a corpse is on its way to the tomb my young friends here have their nerves a little shaken said the widow with a smile to the clergyman at the altar but so many weddings have been ushered in with the merriest peal of the bells and yet turned out unhappily that i shall hope for better fortune under such different auspices madam answered the rector in great perplexity this strange occurrence brings to my mind a marriage sermon of the famous bishop tyler wherein he mingles so many thoughts of mortality and future woe that to speak somewhat after his own rich style he seems to hang the bridal chamber in black and cut the wedding garment out of a coffin pall and it has been the custom of divers nations to infuse something of sadness into their marriage ceremonies so to keep death in mind while contracting that engagement which is life's chiefest business thus we may draw a sad but profitable moral from this funeral knell but though the clergyman might have given his moral even a keener point he did not fail to dispatch an attendant to inquire into the mystery and stop those sounds so dismally appropriate to such a marriage a brief space elapsed during which the silence was broken only by whispers and a few suppressed titterings among the wedding party and the spectators who after the first shock were disposed to draw an ill-natured merriment from the affair the young have less charity for aged follies than the old for those of youth the widow's glance was observed to wander for an instant toward a window of the church as if searching for the time-worn marble that she had dedicated to her first husband 
then her eyelids dropped over their faded orbs and her thoughts were drawn irresistibly to another grave two buried men with a voice at her ear and a cry afar off were calling her to lie down beside them perhaps with momentary truth of feeling she thought how much happier had been her fate if after years of bliss the bell were now tolling for her funeral and she were followed to the grave by the old affection of her earliest lover long her husband but why had she returned to him when their cold hearts shrank from each other's embrace still the death knell tolled so mournfully that the sunshine seemed to fade in the air a whisper communicated from those who stood nearest the windows now spread through the church a hearse with a train of several coaches was creeping along the street conveying some dead man to the churchyard while the bride awaited a living one at the altar immediately after the footsteps of the bridegroom and his friends were heard at the door the widow looked down the aisle and clenched the arm of one of her bridesmaids in her bony hand with such unconscious violence that the fair girl trembled you frighten me my dear madam cried she for heaven's sake what is the matter nothing my dear nothing said the widow then whispering close to her ear there is a foolish fancy that i cannot get rid of i am expecting my bridegroom to come into the church with my two first husbands for groomsmen look look screamed the bridemaid what is here the funeral as she spoke a dark procession paced into the church first came an old man and woman like chief mourners at a funeral attired from head to foot in the deepest black all but their pale features and hoary hair he leaning on a staff and supporting her decrepit form with his nerveless arm behind appeared another and another pair as aged as black and mournful as the first as they drew near the widow recognized in every face some trait of former friends long forgotten but now returning as if from their old grave to warn her to prepare a shroud or with purpose almost as unwelcome to exhibit their wrinkles and infirmity and claim her as their companion by the tokens of her own decay many a merry night had she danced with them in youth and now in joyous age she felt that some withered partner should request her hand and all unite in a dance of death to the music of the funeral bell while these aged mourners were passing up the aisle it was observed that from pew to pew the spectators shuddered with irrepressible awe as some object hitherto concealed by the intervening figures came full in sight many turned away their faces others kept a fixed and rigid stare and a young girl giggled hysterically and fainted with the laughter on her lips when the spectral procession approached the altar each couple separated and slowly diverged till in the centre appeared a form that had been worthily ushered in with all this gloomy pomp the death knell and the funeral it was the bridegroom in his shroud no garb but that of the grave could have befitted such a death-like aspect 
the eyes indeed had the wild gleam of a sepulchral lamp all else was fixed in the stern calmness which old men wear in the coffin the corpse stood motionless but addressed the widow in accents that seemed to melt into the clang of the bell which fell heavily on the air while he spoke come my bride said those pale lips the hearse is ready the sexton stands waiting for us at the door of the tomb let us be married and then to our coffins how shall the widow's horror be represented it gave her the ghastliness of a dead man's bride her youthful friends stood apart shuddering at the mourners the shrouded bridegroom and herself the whole scene expressed by the strongest imagery the vain struggle of the guilted vanities of this world when opposed to age infirmity sorrow and death the awestruck silence was first broken by the clergyman mr ellenwood said he smoothingly yet with somewhat of authority you are not well your mind has been agitated by the unusual circumstances in which you are placed the ceremony must be deferred as an old friend let me entreat you to return home home yes but not without my bride answered he in the same hollow accents you deem this mockery perhaps madness had i bedizened my aged and broken frame with scarlet and embroidery had i forced my withered lips to smile at my dead heart that might have been mockery or madness but now let young and old declare which of us has come hither without a wedding garment the bridegroom or the bride he stepped forward at a ghostly pace and stood beside the widow contrasting the awful simplicity of his shroud with the glare and glitter in which she had arrayed herself for this unhappy scene none that beheld them could deny the terrible strength of the moral which his disordered intellect had contrived to draw cruel cruel groaned the heart-stricken bride cruel repeated he then losing his death-like composure in a wild bitterness heaven judge which of us has been cruel to the other in youth you deprived me of my happiness my hopes my aims you took away all the substance of my life and made it a dream without reality enough even to grieve at with only a pervading gloom through which i walked wearily and cared not whither but after forty years when i have built my tomb and would not give up the thought of resting there no not for such a life as we once pictured you call me to the altar at your summons i am here but other husbands have enjoyed your youth your beauty your warmth of heart and all that could be termed your life 
what is there for me but your decay and death and therefore i have bidden these funeral friends and bespoken the sexton's deepest knell and am come in my shroud to wed you as with a burial service that we may join our hands at the door of the sepulchre and enter it together it was not frenzy it was not merely the drunkenness of strong emotion in a heart unused to it that now wrought upon the bride the stern lesson of the day had done its work her worldliness was gone she seized the bridegroom's hand yes cried she let us wed even at the door of the sepulchre my life is gone in vanity and emptiness but at its close there is one true feeling it has made me what i was in youth it makes me worthy of you time is no more for both of us let us wed for eternity with a long and deep regard the bridegroom looked into her eyes while a tear was gathering in his own how strange that gush of human feeling from the frozen bosom of a corpse he wiped away the tear even with his shroud beloved of my youth said he i have been wild the despair of my whole lifetime had returned at once and maddened me forgive and be forgiven yes it is evening with us now and we have realized none of our morning dreams of happiness but let us join our hands before the altar as lovers whom adverse circumstances have separated through life yet who meet again as they are leaving it and find their earthly affection changed into something holy as religion man what is time to the merit of eternity amid the tears of many and a swell of exalted sentiment in those who felt aright was solemnized the union of two immortal souls the train of withered mourners the hoary bridegroom in his shroud the pale features of the aged bride and the death-bell tolling through the whole till its deep voice overpowered the marriage words all marked the funeral of earthly hopes but as the ceremony proceeded the organ as if stirred by the sympathies of this impressive scene poured forth an anthem first mingling with the dismal knell then rising to a loftier strain till the soul looked down upon its woe and when the awful rite was finished and with cold hand in cold hand the married of eternity withdrew the organ's peal of solemn triumph drowned the wedding knell end of the wedding knell